This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Here tonight, not going to any parties, um, coming to a shear instead of going to a party. Of course, it, it's also brought down that, that um, in Svarim that tonight is like one of the most Tumedika nights that the Tuma comes down to the world in, in a very, very strong way. And of course, we can understand, we look at our Rosh Hashanah that we have and what do we do on Rosh Hashanah? We, we sit with our families, we do tshuva, we build the shofar. And um, the people tonight, at New Year, you know, when it hits the... First of all, it happens to be the highest amount of suicides happen tonight in America. Actually, in the whole world. Um, because people sort of um, look at their lives, what they did last year, and what they think they're going to be able to do this year, and they pretty much just say, you know what, just not worth being here. So there's a... The, the highest amount of suicides and the highest amount of vehicle um, deaths due to um, DWI, right? Um, driving while intoxicated. So it's an interesting thing that the way that you can tell what 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 it is by the way people celebrate it. And tonight that everybody's drunk and um, and uh, the world is drunk and it's brought down as far as that it's a, it's a very dangerous night for kedusha because. Um, Tonight is a lot of tumult that comes down from the uh, Tzad Hasheni, from the from the Satan. So it's um, it's a very big thing that we're here to, that we're actually learning it tonight. And um, so I have some very interesting stories. Then we tell you what happened yesterday. You know, some, always something happens to switch what I want to talk about. But first of all, I want to tell you three amazing stories. We're going to start off with, and then we'll go totally off the derech. Um, now, if you take that from my speech, right, and you cut it up and you put it on Facebook, Rabbi Wallace said, he is totally off the derech. And that's what everyone's going to get. Rabbi in Brooklyn announces he's off the derech. Okay. This is what happened last time, so it might happen again. So you have to be careful what I say online. But anyway, so, very unbelievable question. You're going to go home this Shabbos, you're going to ask this question to your parents, to your rabbi, and, and it's gonna, they're going to be like, huh? I never thought of that. So every single makkah, dumb today, kinamara, whatever, right? All the makkahs that we have, Hashem says, I'm going to bring dumb, go tell, tell Paro that I'm going to bring dumb. And so they, each makkah Hashem says, before the makkah, right, it's going to be choshech. Um, Hashem never told Moshe Benu, right, that before the makkah, you know, if he did tell Moshe Benu, stretch out, by Hashem, the teyachel, or it's mitrayim, ba'arbe, but he never told, um, Moshe Rabbeinu that there's going to be Arbeh. So, how did Moshe Rabbeinu know that this Makkah was coming? Well, let me just read it to you from inside so you understand what I'm saying. For instance, um, end of last week's Pasha. Hashkem Aboki, get up and stand in front of Paro and tell him, right, that, um, if he doesn't listen, right, that tomorrow I'm going to send Barad. Hashem never tells Abraham uh, never tells Moshe Rabbeinu what he's going to bring. So the Pesach says, Le'yem Hashem al-Moshe, Bo'o Paro. Come to Paro. Because I'm going to make his heart heart, and I'm going to, I'm going to show him these miracles, these wonders, Bikirbo in him, in Bikirbo in him, which is very hard to understand. Our first kasha is, what do you mean Bikirbo? You never use that word. In him, you're gonna, the only, the mock is only gonna be in power, it's not gonna be in the home of Triumph. 
and 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 in order that uh, you should tell Ba'azne bin Khuban bin Khu your children and your grandchildren as a Shalati Mitzrayim that I played around with Mitzrayim Mitzrayim and what I did, he doesn't tell him, right? He doesn't tell him what's going to be. So before he goes to power. In other words, after now that he's going to power, he does tell him what it's going to be. So how does how does how does Moshe Rabbeinu know what is going to be this Bo'o Paro and tell Paro that I'm that uh, I, I made his heart hard, but tell him about Arbi. He doesn't tell him this about how do we know that that he was going to bring Arba? So it's very very beautiful. Um, it's it's actually written by Rashumshin of Australia, and he says the following: the word Bays and Aleph. There are two letters in the Aleph Bays that they sort of switch with Pei, which is Po. And Bez, which is Ba, sometimes they switch a, be, a Bez and a Pei. And of course, Ayin and Aleph, right? It's, it's, it's the same expression. Aurov, right? And Ayin and Aleph. Has, so, so an Ayin and an Aleph switch around, and a Pei and a Bez switch around. So listen carefully. Bo, El Paro. Take the letters Bo, Bez and Aleph, and put it in the name of Paro. So, the Bez replaces the Pei. The Aleph replaces the Ayin. And now you have the word Arbe. Okay? So Yom Hashem Moshe. So Hashem didn't tell him directly Arbe, but he hinted it to him. He said, Bo El Paro, put the Bo in Paro, right? Now, Hashem says, Ulamat, right? I'm sorry, he says, Laman, Shisi Oisoisai. Oisoisai means letters, right? That you're going to put my letters, Ela Bekirbo, in his name. Bekirbo means in his name. You're going to put my letters that I'm giving you, both the base and the Aleph, in Paro's name, then you'll know what maka you're going to bring. It's going to be Arba. Maybe the Kipshat. Okay? That's what Shamshan is Very nice. Now, next one that's totally amazing from the Briskarov. The Briskarov says the following. If we go back to Pasha Shemos, so it says that... Listen carefully what, I, what the Paro says to, uh, and, and we're, we're talking going to, we're going to learn all about the Shmos and then I'll get into my little two minute Zumba speech. Have to, have to, until I get bored of it. But, um, it says the following. So Paro wants to have all the Jewish kids killed, right? So he says the following. says to the, to the, Mialdos um, Ivrios, right? The, 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 these were the women, like the nurses who brought the children into the world, midwives they were called. Hashem, Hashem, Acha Shifra. Hashem, Shein is poor. First question. Why does it say this? It should just say, Why does it say, Shema Achash, the first name, Shifra. Second name is Pua. First of all, who cares what's first and what's second? Second, why does it say all well, this Hashem? I should just say, Right? Question number one. Then he says, he goes on, right? And, Right? They let them stay, they let them stay alive. And he says, Rashi says, that what was their, what was their reward? That they that they let the Jewish kids. So it says, "Vayitav Elokim lemiyaldos." Hashem did something to reward them that they let the boys stay alive. Vayaslehem batim, batei kahuna v'levia, right? Batei kahuna v'levia, 
Umalchus Shikoyrim Shikruim Batim. So the Kasha is what's the Mida Kenegin Mida? Hashem does everything Mida Kenegin Mida. So they saved all the Jewish boys. So Hashem in return gave them Levi and Kohen and, 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 and Malchus. The Mida Kenegin Mida is you saved all the boys. So your children will grow up healthy. And your grandchildren are going to grow up healthy. They're going to live a long life. They're not going to die young. That would be Mida Kenegamida. So where do we see the Mida Kenegamida here? So the, the Brisker Rav says something unbelievable. And he says, what did, it, what did it help the Jewish nation as being a Jewish nation by letting the boys live? Even if they would have let all the boys die, the Jewish nation would still have been a nation because the Jewish women would have married Egyptians. But since they're Jewish women, their children would have been Jewish. So really, Shifra and Pua, Miriam and, and Yochebed, didn't really save the Jewish nation. The Jewish nation would have been saved anyway, because if they would have killed all the boys, the women would have gotten married, there would have been, it still would have been a Jewish nation. So the Briska Rebbe says, what actually did they save? They didn't save the nation. They saved the Bate Kahuna and Leviah. Because had they let all the Jewish boys be killed, and the Egyptian and the, and the Egyptian men would have married the Jewish women, so you would have had Jewish children, but you wouldn't have Kohanim and Levim because their father would be a guy. No, they, they, this was before Moshe, this was before Moshe was born. He wasn't around. So if they're if they let's say they wouldn't have listened, they would, Moshe would have been killed too. Any boy would have been killed. So Lamai said, all the boys would have been killed. So the no, no miracles. There would have been if if it, our question is why is there reward that they're going to have Levim and Kahanim? Why is that the reward? The reward should be that they save the boys, so their children will always be healthy, and their grandchildren, their great grandchildren. So the answer is because it was me the Kenegamida, because they didn't really need to save the boys for the Jewish nation to continue. By saving the boys, they saved Bate Kahuna. And but the Levia, because the fathers would have been Egyptians, so then all the Jewish kids that would have been born would have been Yisraelim, there wouldn't have been any Kahanim and Levium. So it's Mamish Mida, so the Briskorov says, so it's Mamish Mida, Kenegamida, you saved Levi and Kahanim and Levium. And I don't know, it also says, it says, um, Malucha, it could be there's a halacha, I'm not sure, that, uh, that if the father's a non-Jew, you can't, you can't be part of the Malucha. Well, you lose the whole Yehuda, that they're gone. The whole Yehuda's gone because the father's not from Shevet Yehuda anymore. So, so the real Mida Kenega Mida was Taka their reward. Their reward was really Mida Kenega Mida, which we'll talk a little bit about Mida Kenega Mida, but I want to go to the other question. The other question is that, um, by, by, by the, by Shifra and Pua, why does it say Shema Achas, Shema Achas? It should just say, it should just say their names. And also it says that, um, by Tirena Hamiyadus is Elohim, they feared God, and they didn't do what He spoke on them. Melech Mitzrayim. First of all, she just said, We know it's Melech Mitzrayim. Just now He said that He told them to kill the kids, right? So, so what, what, what is this? It should say, The end of the poster. Why is it telling us? But they feared Hashem. But and they didn't do what the king of Mitzrayim said. And they let the children live. Seems to be that what Paro was telling them to do 
was separate from letting the kids live. Because it would have been just been the they loved him, it would say, the, 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 the midwives feared God, but they loved him. And they let the children live. But in between, we're saying, well, why also they didn't do what Paro told them to do? We know that if they let the kids live, that they didn't do. So what's this, what did this Melech Mitzrayim tell them besides kill the kids that they didn't listen to? And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu rewarded them. So there's a fantastic, fantastic, which is, which is so important, um, I haven't learned the Yisoscha with this year probably in, in five years. And, and I used to learn a lot of B'nai Yisoscha. So the B'nai Yisoscha says the following. So, you know, I don't want to get into the subject too much because I enjoy it too much, but, um, so we spoke about, you all know what happened with the Zumba, with the speeches, I'm still getting it. I'm still, I'm still, people are like, like, uh, a couple of guys were talking and they didn't know, they didn't realize, you know, like, why does Wallstein have a problem with this? Leave everybody alone. And, 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 you know, people are still saying it's an exercise, whatever it is. So, you know what? I'm not even getting into it anymore. I'm really not. I'm not getting into it anymore. But, I want to tell you something that someone told me this week, which I wish I would have heard 20 years ago, because it would have saved me from doing a lot of things I shouldn't have done. And I think it's absolutely amazing, and it's fantastic, and, and I pretty much don't talk about Zoom anymore. This is really my last discussion. And then everyone has to make the decision after I repeat to you what this person told me. So, so this, this person came over to me in, in, in shul after davening, and he said, you know, I hear you're getting a lot of flack. I'm like, me? Flack? About what? He said, you know, I heard about this whole Zumba thing, and people are very angry that you got up and spoke against an exercise, which is like, sounds really like, what I do, I got up and spoke against an exercise, and the whole place rolls up in arms. You think I talked about the Jewish nation, about Gedalim, I don't know what. Spoke about an exercise. Okay, anyway. He says, listen. He says, I'm not, I'm not going right or left. I'm not telling you right or wrong, but I just want to tell you something that my Rebbe once told me. I'm like, okay, because I'm, I'm hearing stuff from a lot of people. I'm like, okay, what do you got to say? He said something unbelievable. He said, as a parent, anything that you do in life, the way to decide if it's right or wrong is whatever you're about to do, take a video of what you're doing in your head. Say, I'm going to take a video of what you're doing. If you can take that video, whatever it is, that you make kosher, not, whatever it is, and you could show that to your children. What's the Shabbos? You could sit down from Lava Malka and say, I want to show you what Tati did this week. If you could show them the video, do it. Then it's okay what you're doing. If you can't show them the video, then you can't do it. He said, you have to ask all these women, from women, shape, look, the whole works. They go, and they, it's exercise, and all the answers, all the excuses, whatever you want to say, it's exercise, and we need it, and it's healthy, even though you can exercise and be healthy with other kinds of music, right, and the words, and the this, and the that, you can, whatever you want. At the end of the day, this mother, who's going to Zumba, needs to take a video, and video the way she's dancing, and the music she's dancing to. And if she's willing to play that video, Mati Javis, for her daughters who are in Bishako, and all these other schools. And her son, who's in Mir, Kovadas, Chavetzchayim, right? Chavetzchayim mothers, all these other mothers, right? All these different yeshivas. If you're willing to play that video for your sons, who are shtagging, and your daughters, and you're like, okay, I want you to see what mommy looked like for an hour this week. If you have no problem with it, go Zumba. If you have a problem with it, and you're like, oh my God, my kids, 
She see me moving like that, looking like that. Oh God forbid, my daughter would see her. She would she would crawl out of the room in embarrassment. If that's how you feel, you can't go. Then you can't go. If you're like, no problem. Watch your mother dance like this. No problem. Then go. That's what he told me. I said, where were you my whole life? For me. Because a lot of you know this, right? That many years ago, I used to be a gambler. And I used to go to casinos. And in my head, I was doing the biggest mitzvah in the world. Because I was tipping, right, all the dealers and everything. And I was wearing my yarmulke. And I didn't drink. They used to bring me Nestle's Crunch. That's what they used to bring to the table, right? And I was the gentleman. I never cursed. You know, casinos are a place. Everyone's drinking and cursing and, and not nice. And, and Wallenstein sat there and I was like, look at me, Hashem. What a kiddush Hashem I am. Yamaka and I'm quiet. And, and, and what do you mean? And everyone's saying like, you know, Jews are not cheap. Wallenstein is showing that Jews are not cheap. He's, he's tipping every hand. Right? And I, and, and, and I know the Gemara. The Gemara says you're not allowed to gamble because of two reasons. One, you're stealing. Right? Because if you gamble with another Jew and he loses, he doesn't want to lose. So he's not a bar das to let you... If, if you're going to sit there with another Jewish guy and you're like, okay, we're gambling, me and you, but we're playing poker and I have a royal flush every hand, automatic. He's not going to play with you. That means you won every hand. I'm not, I'm not playing with you. The whole thing of gambling is that I think I could win. So if I don't win, you stole from me. Because I believe I can win. You took the money from me. So even though I say, I'm Michael you, I'm Michael you, I'm not Michael you because I came to win. So why am I Michael you? Right? If I knew I am going to lose a whole night, I wouldn't show up. So I lost the whole night. I didn't give you that money willingly, even though I'm saying that. But of course, I'm there. so the Gemara says, you're a Ghana. You're a Ghana if you puzzle this. I said, me? I don't play with Jews. No Hanukkah, no Kvitlach. I go down to a casino, Atlantic City, belongs to New Jersey. They're like, they're not even Jewish. There's no Geneva, there's no Mechila. They're like, come and play. Look how he built this building from all you losers. We have 22,000 people working in this casino from all you losers. We're doing very well. Come! If you win this time, you'll lose next time. So the Gemara, that's Geneva. It's not Geneva. They're not even Jewish. So that's not a problem. The other problem, the Gemara says, that a person who plays cards, right, is destroying the world. Because if everyone's going to play cards and money's going to go from A to B to C to D to E to F and nobody's going to work, no farmers, no food, no water, no buildings, no nothing. So therefore, the world can't be a bunch of people playing cards, gambling, but I said, that's not me. I have a business. I have people working for me. I have factories with hundreds of people working for me. Cards is not my panasa. The Gemara means a gambler who only, that's all he does. He gambles for panasa. I'm not gambling for panasa. It's my hobby. Right? Expensive hobby, but it's my hobby. So, I'm not doing anything wrong. According to the Gemara, I'm not doing anything wrong. Not only that, kill Hashem. They're walking around saying, look, the Jews are not cheap. They tip. They tip very well. I was very full of myself. I was a tzaddik. I was a tzaddik. I thought I was a tzaddik. No problem meeting parents of, of, of my class, in, you know, in, in the Taj Mahal. There was Israelis that I was teaching their kids. And they're like, hey, Rabbi, can I sit next to you? Yeah, no problem. You know, tomorrow I'm going to teach your kid Chumash. No problem. Right? I had no problem with it. But if someone would have told me, I want you to take a video of you sitting in a casino playing cards. And I want to show it to your five daughters on Matzah Shabbos, where your tati was. Casino, waitresses, everything that goes on at casino. I'll tell you, are you crazy? I'm going to show my daughters that I'm sitting in a casino? 
on a Matzah Shabbos, I'm going to call my kids together and say, hey kids, I want you to know where I was this week. I want you to watch this movie. Well, of course I wouldn't. So even though in my head, it's kosher and you're allowed to do it and I had all the excuses, it's exercise, it's this, all the excuses. At the end of the day, there's no way I'm playing that movie for my five daughters. There's no way. Then it's wrong. I said to this guy, where were you? I would have never walked into a casino. Had I known that, for sure. With all the mishugas, I'm like, I'm not trying my kids this. There's no way. I used to hide it from them. Right? Where'd you get that robe that has Trump on it? Where'd you get this? Where'd you get that? Ah, I don't know. They send it in the mail. <laughs> you know, I used to tell them all kinds of crazy stories. Like, you know? And my friends would say, how come on every whiskey bottle you have the name of a hotel on the back? I'm like, I don't know. It must have been, the company must have just overran them or something. I don't know, whatever it is. Of course I hid it. I wasn't proud of it, but it wasn't on that. They were in my head. So he, he, what he said to me is brilliant. So I said, you know what? I'm not talking about Zumba anymore. Everyone needs to know what you do. If, if that dancing is okay to show your daughter and your son, bring them home from, from yeshiva. Say, I want you to see mommy. I would like, mommy wants to show you a video of how she was dancing this week. And she has no problem to show it to her little, her little yeshiva bacher or her daughter. Go right ahead. Do what you gotta do. But I think most of us would have a major problem. And altogether, not just Zumba, but anything that we do during the week, when you think, when you think that you might be right, it might be okay, just think about, will I play this for my children? If the answer is yes, then it can't be too bad. Or you might be just totally twisted. But if the, if the answer is no, then 100% you can't do it. You just can't do it. It's just, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. Oh, whoa, why do my kids have to see what I do? Because your kids know what you do. Because their neshamas are part of your neshama. And they know what you do. And I told you this a long time ago. You can't preach. You can't preach to people, right? Hypocritical. They know. Neshamas talk to neshamas. I can tell you that. I know that for a fact. Neshamas talk to neshamas. So when, if I'm going to get up here and talk about gambling to you guys and tell you the craziest stories and the craziest stuff that I'm going to go tonight and gamble, even though you're going to walk out and say, that was a crazy shit, I'll never gamble again, you will gamble again. Because your soul knows that I'm a liar. Your soul talks to my soul and knows that I'm playing cards. And therefore, in the end, your soul is going to get to you and turn you and say, no, no, no. This So it's coming out of my heart, it's going into your heart. If my heart is filthy and polluted, then it's going to pollute your heart. And all the Torah that I'm going to give you is not going to work. So the person who gives Torah has to make sure that whatever he says, he's, he's keeping himself. If he's not keeping himself, he can't give that over. So a person who doesn't want their children to see what they're doing, right? It's like, listen, this is my life. My kid has her life. Uh-uh, uh-uh. There's no such thing. The kid knows exactly, even though he or she doesn't know it. She doesn't know it here, but here she knows it. And it will affect her. And then when all of a sudden she's off the derech, you're like, I don't understand, how could you be off the derech? Because your child's neshama is talking to her parents' neshama all the time because it's part of that neshama. It's nitsutsim, it's DNA, it's coming from that neshama. So they're talking to each other all the time. So that's, I think, one of the big questions that we have to ask ourselves. What I'm doing tonight, what I'm about to do, do I want to play that Matzi Shabbos for my kids? Or maybe for my parents? Hey, Dad, Mom, want to see what I did this week? Am I willing to play a video for them to show them what I did? If I can't show that to them, if I'm ashamed of it, then I can't do it. Then there's something wrong with it. Okay, so let me, t- let me tell you the answer to this. Um, I think that's going to be the last thing I'm going to say unless somebody really starts up with me um, on this whole subject. The subject is closed. Just If you're willing to show that to your kids, go right ahead. If you're not willing to show that to your kids, then there's something wrong with it. Yes? Um, what about things like... I I don't think I'd have a problem showing my girls me at a football game. 
I wouldn't have a problem. May, I may be wrong, but I wouldn't have a problem. Hey, kids, here's, here's Tati at the Yankee game. At a Jet game, I'd be embarrassed. I wouldn't show it. <laughs> I'm a Giant fan. There's no way I would show my kids a Jet game. They'd be like, is it Tishabov? What's the Shabbos? Yeah, what? No, so I, I, again, so, so that's what I'm saying. In your head, so for me, that wouldn't be a problem. There's a lot of other places that I would have a, a, a casino I would not show my kids. At a football game, I would show my kids. So, what? Or why? I don't know. I, I guess in my head, it's not very bad. So if someone would come and show me and teach me whatever it is and it would become something that I feel is very bad, then I, then I would, you know, but I went to games all my life, so I'm a little bit, you know, de- not so sensitized about it. Could be you're 100% right. I'm not saying, you know, differently. But I, I have to tell you that I took my daughter to a baseball game um, and was her first baseball game, and I had pretty good seats, and I was so embarrassed. I, 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 could, I could have called on the table. It happened to be that three guys were sitting behind us. They were, they were drinking beer so fast, and they were cursing. And every time a guy struck out or hit a fly ball from the Yankees, they would use four-letter words. And here's my daughter from Baysaco, and she's sitting with me. I was going to, as a kid, when I went to baseball games, I didn't hear those words. And I wasn't sitting in the bleachers. You know, that I, I, I accept that. I was sitting in a good place. And I was like, you know, you can't, I, I, I can't take my kid to a baseball game. They pretty much, the world pretty much destroyed everything. I mean, you can't, I can't take my daughter to a, I, I, I can't, I can't go, I love basketball. I can't go to a basketball game. Because, you know, in stoppage of play, they have these dancers who are not dressed. So I can't take my class, I can't take kids to a basketball game. I want to watch a bunch of guys play ball. No, they have to put all this pizzas on it because in LA they did it. So they have the city dancers and you have to sit there and you have yeshiva kids and parents who want to bring their kids really to watch ball. And these kids are like, whoa, what's going on there? So I figured hockey, right? You can't have anybody dancing on the ice, right? So I went to a Islander game or whatever game it was three years ago and they have these girls that come out and in between plays they scrape the ice with a shovel and a little thing. They come skating out. And everybody's screaming and yelling, and they're hardly, they're hardly dressed. And I'm like, this is hockey. This is where I grew up. I'm a hockey player. I'm like, no girls on the ice? Are you kidding me? What, this is hockey. This is, this is blood. This is stitches. You know what I mean? This is, this is a stick across your head. This is a puck in your face. What, what are these women doing? Because the whole world, even if you want to go to something innocent, you want to go to a baseball game, they're cursing. You want to go to a basketball game, they're dancing. You want to go to, this is the world today. You can't, you can't, I wouldn't, I don't go. I can't go. What am, 100%, what am I going to show my class? That Rad Wallstein's at a game and there's a bunch of girls dancing on, on, on the basketball court? What am I going to show that to my class? You're going to say, Rebbe, what happened to Yishmir Sinayim? Oh, I closed my eyes. Uh-huh. Right. Right, Rebbe, you close your eyes. What? Right. It's, it's how you, you have to make that decision. Some people, some people, some, what? I don't tell the boys not to gamble. I talk about that all the time. But so, I, but in, in Zumba, right? I am dancing. The guy, the, the the girl is dancing, and she's dancing in a provocative way. Herself, I'm not playing. I'm not playing. I'm not playing the football game. We don't have. Our, so you're talking about soccer. We don't. We don't do, go so crazy. We don't go so crazy at a football game. We sit there and we like. Eh, you know. We don't. We don't. We don't. We don't stampede over people. You know, and kill them. What? We have kosher food, right? Right. And we have minyanim. 
We have Minyanim from Mincha, middle of the Yankee game. Minyan on tier number 41, right. 100%. So again, I, I, I'm telling you again, right? First of all, listen, Rabbi Lofton can't scream about everything, right? What I do, well, if you listen to my last 800 shiurim, pretty much I covered everything. That's the truth. <laughs> I pretty much screamed about pretty much everything, right? But 100%, each, each person, listen, each person has their sensitivities to, to whatever it is. I, in my speech, was talking, I'll, I'll give you a for instance, I, in my speech, was talking to girls who don't listen to non-Jewish music. So, one of the things is, is how to detect the Yitzhahara, right? So, I was saying, the, the whole excuse of exercise, right, is going to bring you to listen to non-Jewish music, but what's going to happen, and when you walk out, you're going to like the music. I'm, I'm, I know because I listen to non-Jewish music. I used to listen all the time. So you're going to like the music. So you get into your car, and here's a girl who her whole life was working not to listen to, right? And you're going to get a Zumba tape, CD, and you're going to listen to that non-Jewish music. You don't even know what the words are. They're Latin. You don't even know what to think, right? And you're going to start, and that's going to get you into other music, and that's going to get you to concerts, and that's going to get you, and that's how the Yetzirah works. So that's what, I, that's what I was telling these girls, right? It wasn't, they came into my house to, to, to me speaking to my girls, and they took it into the public thoroughfare. It wasn't for you. It, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like I'm talking to Satmar girls. They called me to talk to Satmar girls because they wear theme stockings, right? So that you could tell that the person's wearing a stocking. So there's a theme. So the Reverend, let's say Satmar called me to the Wallstein, there's three girls in the class. They're not wearing theme stockings anymore. I need you to go talk to the class. And I come into this class, and there's 20 girls, and it's Satmar in Williamsburg. And I'm like, listen, this is all your doyrois, this is your mesoira, Right? You know, if, if you're not wearing seam stockings and sapper, you're going off the derech. That's the first thing. Then you're going to start changing your skirt, and you're going to start changing your hair, and it's going to end up in a very bad place. A guy comes along, gets a hold of my shear, right, and and comes and clips it and says, listen to the 39th minute, and what do you hear in the 39th minute? Right, whilst he's saying, and if you don't wear seam stockings, you're going off the derech. And all of a sudden, it's, Rabbi Wallace says, any Jewish woman who doesn't wear seam stockings is going off the derech. Hello? I'm talking to a group of girls for a certain purpose. What are you coming in there? Right? Oh, so you just want to make... So this is what happened. So you're coming in there. You're pulling it apart. That's not what I said. That's not what I'm talking about. Right now, at 11 o'clock tonight. Okay, 11 o'clock. So I have a high school of girls that, you know, have gone through a lot and they're struggling a lot. Tonight is the worst night of the year for any girl in the world because they go and they get drunk and very bad things happen to them. So when I started my school, I was asking girls six years ago when I started my school, so where are you going tonight? Oh, I'm going to this bar. I'm going to this club. And, and they, have, they have clubs under 18, no drinking, baloney, no drinking. They bring in their own stuff. It's terrible. What's, I mean, it's crazy what's going on. Fine. So each girl is going to a different club. I'm like, and then some of them are going to Times Square. And there's the matzo ball with some Jewish people, the Erev Rav, making a thing on Facebook to bring all the Jewish people. And it's called the Tehillim Day. Bring your tefillin, bring your tefillin. You're going to be overnight. And the girls, right? And, okay, a little bit. I know what's flying, right? So we have all this garbage going. So I'm like, how am I getting these girls not to go there? Because they're young. They're underage. They're going to get drunk. They're going to put stuff in their drink. And tomorrow morning, it's, it's not going to be a happy new year. Okay? So, um... I didn't know what to do. So I said to them, just out of my mouth, that at that time there was only 12, 15 girls in the school. I'm like, okay, here's the deal. New Year's Eve, I'll make you a party. I'll get you a DJ. Non-Jewish music, because they're not listening to Jewish music. Non-Jewish music, Arnava downstairs, starts at 11, ends at 3. Every girl that shows up and stays till 3, at 3 o'clock, I give you 100 bucks. 100 bucks, green, crisp bill. Really? 
I'm like, yeah, but you can't go to a party afterwards. That's why till three, till they get to the city, it's already four. Pretty much everything's winding down. So we made a deal. They all showed up. All 15 of them. Cost me $1,500. Tonight, we have a DJ with non-Jewish music. We have a magician. Every girl's getting $100. See, the problem is that I have 30 girls now in my school. (laughs) It's cost me $3,000 tonight. So it's the same rabbi. It's the same rabbi that on the 39th minute said that Zumba, you should not be going to Zumba because it's going to lead you to Goyesh music, is hired a DJ, same rabbi, to play non-Jewish music, but for a different girl. She's, she's safe. She's with all girls, right? With teachers there. She's safe. So for me, for that girl, listen to non-Jewish music, jump up and down, do whatever you want, and I'm paying you a hundred bucks to listen and dance to non-Jewish music. I'm paying you. Same guy. Then in that other tape said, uh-uh-uh-uh, Zumba's no good for you. So if you want to take things out of context, and, and that's why many years ago I told you, Facebook is a place of Lashon Hara, of Moiti Shemra. It's, it's a place, it, I'm sure it has some good things to it. I, haven't, I don't know what they are, but, but it, has a, it can destroy a person. You could cyber, mamish kill somebody in a second. And that's what this guy did. And whatever, fine. He made me famous. I, you know, hey, thank you. You know, <laughs> everybody wants to talk to me. Some not good, some good, but you know what I mean? You know, bad publicity is real publicity, they say. So, so, you, you, you can't, you can't do that. And, and, and therefore, I thought about it and I said, you know what? I'm not, I'm not telling anyone what to do anymore, but you know, you have to think about, is this what you want to play for your kids? And you know what? He said something to me that's very, 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 very interesting. And, and, and I've been thinking a lot about it because it's, it's, to me, this is like a Rabbi Gamliel thing. This is a bomb. Because I got to think a whole week whatever I'm doing. I want, I want my Shoshi, my Hindi, my Batya, my five girls. When I bring them into the room and say, okay, I want you to see what Tati did today. If it's something I really don't want them to see. And there's a lot of guys in this room that look at things they shouldn't on, 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 on the internet. And, and you need to know if you're willing to bring your kids into the room and say, I want to show you what last night I spent an hour looking at. I want to play it back for all my kids. No way. No way. Even though, hey, it's this. It's good for me. I need it. I need to relax. No way you're showing that to your kids. No way. So, so this is like a, a new way of processing. And we're not talking about God. You're not, even show, you're not going to show it to your kids. Forget about when God sees it. Oh my gosh. We're talking about your children, your daughters, or your sons. We're not talking about that God sees what you're doing. We're not even going there because you can say, God, I don't understand. I'll be Shuva. No, he's God. And we'll, we'll talk about that soon. But like, but you, we're not even talking about God. We're talking about your children. Not even your parents. Because a lot of things we do, we don't want our parents to see. It's your own children. These are your children. This is your DNA. And, and their souls know what you're doing. Their souls know exactly what you're doing. You can't fool them. You don't fool children. So I think that was just like a, a, a big, big brain opener for me. And for all you guys sitting here, you, if, you could, if you could live your life that way, right, I think that you'll have a lot more clarity in what you do. You know, and again, I, I cautioned my gambling in every single way, but there's no way that I would have my kids see me sit there at a table with chips and money and waitresses and a whole casino. There's no way I would let my daughters into that. I would never let them sit there and watch that. And I know this 20, 30 years ago, I, wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have walked into a casino. If that had to be my cheshman, I couldn't sit at the chair and say, I want my daughters, you know, let's bring them in. Let them sit next to me. So as right as I thought it was, it was really very wrong. Okay. So anyway, I want to, um, I want to answer these caches. That, that, so these caches on, on the, on the, on the, on the, on the, 
midwives, how come it says, again, how come it says, Achas, Shainis, this name, that name, how come it says that, that, Batichianus, I love him, but in between it says, So it's a, it's a, it's a, B'nai Saskha, and the B'nai Saskha says as follows, he says something unbelievable. Forget about music, forget about dancing, forget about football games, listen to this. He says, I will tell you that you should know that this is the union of all kingdoms of, of, of sinning kingdoms with choice what is their will they want the Jews to go off the derech to become non-Jews what is this terrible thing that they want to do he said every name that's why it says the Elish right after Yosef every name that we're named our Hebrew names the Kedusha they try to give you an English an, an English name or a different name that's not a Hebrew name. He says, how do you know this? Unbelievable. He says, how do you know this? And he says, this is so scary. He says, This is the Eitzah of the Satan. To give names to Jews. From the Sitra, from, from the Yitzhahara's side. By through being called by a non-Jewish name, it changes your whole body, and all your limbs, because and your strength, and it, it makes you and through that the Yitzhahara is misvatal you from doing all the mitzvahs. And now we're reading this, I'm like, come on. Because my name, I have an English name, that means I'm going to go off to Derech. So he brings a rock. He brings a raya. And he says that Nebuchadnezzar gave Roman names to Hanani, Mishal, Azariah, and Daniel. Because he wanted them to serve Abay Dezara. And he knew that if they kept their Hebrew names, he could not get them to go off the derech. And they, they did not allow their names to be changed. And he says that Paro, who was a sorcerer, and he understood the Indian, right? So he said the first Jew that came under his control, who was he? Yosef. What did the Pasuk say in, in, in Mikates? By Yikra, Paro, Shame, Yosef, Sofnas, Panea. Immediately, Paro changed Yosef's name. Because he wanted to make Yosef go under him, become bad, forget about that he's a Jew. So immediately the first thing he did, he said, you have a new name. It's an, it's an Egyptian name. He said, You'll never see that name again in the Torah. He was never called in the Torah. He didn't allow it. As it says in the Pasuk, by Yetze Yosef, Yosef went out to Mitzrayim. Not Sofnas Panea. And he said, Yosef never let it. And when he died, right, at the end of Bereshis, says, Vayichi Yosef, Meyav Esther Shanim, all the 110 years of his life, he kept his name Yosef. By Yamas Yosef ben Meir Esther And Yosef died. Never, you see, power named him Tzavtas Panea. He's never called Tzavtas Panea. Okay? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be like the same thing as like a, a Chassidish girl with stockings, stockings, wear stockings, she, that she's going off, that's the start of going off. Well, that might be the reason why it's an in. But if I always had an English name, that wouldn't be making me, would, would I also be making me go off the dark? Yeah, because you, you would, you never always have an English name. You were given a Hebrew name by your bris. That's your, and that's who you are. That was like a star by changing their names. Like no, no. So you're, yeah, but that's not what he says here. You're saying 
that by changing, by changing your name to English, so that's the beginning of the fall. Is that what he's saying? He's saying the Hebrew name has Kedusha in it. It's like your battery. And if you don't use the Hebrew name, right, then all of a sudden you're not, your, your koyach, your strength, your, your whole symmetry of who you are disappears. He's not saying it's the beginning of the end because of that. He's saying it's mamish, your, it's, it's who you are, it's your koyach. And he says that they used to put on the, the coffins, right, I forgot what they called them in Egypt, right, they used to put the name of the, of the king that was there. He says, but, but the Aroyna Shal Yosef, right, it didn't say Tzavtas Paneya, it said Yosef. And that's why the last part is by Yamas Yosef Yosef, they put it in Aron. So he never allowed them to change his name. So what happened? Shemos, the Eilish Shmos B'nai Yisrael. The connection with the first Pasuk in Shemos and the last Pasuk in Bereshus is that B'nai Yisrael had the power through their names because Yisrael Tzadik never took, a, never took an, uh, an, an Arab name. He says, he says, this answers all our questions. Why? He says, Paro knew that it was impossible for two Jewish women to kill Jewish children. There's no way. So he said, your name is Miriam, your name is Yocheved. Miriam and Yocheved, he was very smart, Paro. Miriam and Yocheved could never kill a Jewish boy. But if I change your name, and I give you an Egyptian name, that's going to change who you are, that's going to bring you to the Sitra Acha, so right away he said, by Yikrenel Meyaldois, Achas one, your name is now Shifra, no more Yechevet. Shainis, your name is no longer Miriam, your name is Pua. He gave them Egyptian names so that they would be able to kill the children. So now, let's look at what happened. So the Pasig says, right? The Pasig says, Vaterena HaMeyaldos Elohim, and the, the Mialdais, Shifra and Pua, Yocheba and Miriam, feared Hashem, below Asukasha Diber Aleya Melech Matrayim. And they didn't change their names. That's what it says. And they didn't change their names. And therefore, because they didn't change their names, they couldn't kill the kids. But the Chayana Sayyiladim. That's why they were able to keep the children alive. Vayikra Melech Matrayim and Mialdais. So Paro said to the Mialdois, by Yomalahem, Madua Sisimadavaza. Why did you do this? I called you Shifra and Pua. Why are you calling yourself Yuchabad and 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 Yuchabad and Miriam? But the Khayana Zayalagim. Right? But just interesting, he said, Matoimar, Hamyalza Paul, Kiloi, Kanoshim and Mitras Ibris. We're not like we're not, we're not like Nashim Mitzrayas. We're not like Mitzrayas. We're, we're, our names are sh- not Shifra and Pua. Our name is Yocheved and, and, and Yocheved and Miriam. And Akush Baruch Hu, um, that they weren't willing to change their name. And Akush Baruch Hu made it for them Batim. So we see from here, this is a, this is a caveat, this is a, a that, that just the changing of a person's name, that the Yitzhahara, just changing a Jewish name into a non-Jewish name has, has a kayach to, to, to make that Jew do things that Jews do not do. So Paro understood that if they're going to have a name, Miriam, Miriam and, and, and forget it, Miriam and cannot kill kids. So he said, you got to be Shifra and Pua. He tried it with Yosef, it didn't work. So he tried it with them, and they said, uh-uh, my name, our names are not Shifra and Pua. Our name is, so therefore, they could not kill the children. But according to, according to Bnei Saska, had they changed their names and called themselves Shifra and Pua, they would have been Jews with the ability to kill other Jews. 
just changing a name. Imagine changing a lot of other things, how that, how that affects us. Okay. So anyway, I had this whole shir prepared last night, and I went to Muncie to speak. So I had to leave New York at a quarter to seven to be in Muncie at eight o'clock. My speech was at eight o'clock. At about six, six o'clock, six o five, I got a phone call on my cell phone, and I usually don't pick it up, but I picked it up because I thought maybe it's someone from Muncie, whatever. And there's a teacher, Beisako teacher, on the phone. She says, "Hi, I'm so and so. I know who she is." She said, "Well, I have a girl. That I must come right now. You must speak to her right now." I'm like, "I can't. Uh, you're not. You're in Flatbush. I'm in Barpak. By the time you get to Barpak, I gotta go to Muncie." She says, "No, you don't understand. Forget about Muncie." I'm like, "No, no, you don't understand. I got 200 women waiting for me. I'm speaking in Muncie, or or Nava Muncie, or Muncie. Uh, I gotta go. I, I'm sure she needs to talk to me. I'll talk to her tomorrow." She goes, "No, you need to talk to her now." I'm like. What's going on? She says, this kid is struggling and, 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 and we just see that she's falling. Tenth grader, she's a tenth grader. And she's falling and there's something going on. And today I just, I just, I pushed it and I said, like, what's going on? You were such a good student, our student, brilliant girl. What's going on? You just, you, you don't look interested in it anymore. You're not asking questions. She said, you really want to know what's going on? The teacher said, yeah, I really want to know what's going on. She goes, it's going to be a little surprising what I'm about to tell you. She goes, tell me whatever it is I can handle. She goes, I don't believe there's a God. Honestly, I'm going through this, and I, you know, I went through ninth grade and all these classes. I don't believe there's a God. I'm an atheist. She just said, you're a what? From girl, from school, from home, from everything. Looks great. Looks. Hello? In tenth grade, you decided to be an atheist? She says, so, 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 so she said, I'm an atheist, and I have a lot of questions, and you can't answer them. So the teacher said, well, um, if I bring you someone that could answer them, would you go? She says, yeah. She says, would you go to Rabbi Wallstein? She goes, yeah. She said, but you got to get me there today because tomorrow, I don't think I'm going to be willing to talk to anybody. So it's like now, or I stay an atheist forever. So what am I supposed to say, right? I have, I have a sheer in Muncie, I have this girl. I'm like, okay, 15 minutes. You got to get here fast, I'll give you 15 minutes. Fine. Girl walks into my office yesterday, 10th grader, dressed in a uniform, like any Basiaco, great kid, smart, very kid, sits down. I'm like, so how can I help you? I make believe I don't know what she wants. I'm like, how can I help you? She goes, I'm an atheist. I'm like, spell it. <laughs> she knows how to spell it. She's a smart kid. She says, I said, so you're an atheist. Wow. You're a 10th grade atheist. Interesting. Um, you know what it means to be an atheist? She goes, yeah, I, don't, I, I believe the world just happened. I'm like, okay. Um, I take that as an insult. I don't think I just happened, but okay. Um, I also don't think I come from monkeys because that's really, you're not really talking nice about my great-grandfather, that's for sure, right? Um, I said, but let me ask you something. Do you have questions or do you have answers? She goes, I have questions. I'm like, Maybe you have answers. She goes, what do you mean? I said, maybe you're doing something really bad or you want to do something really bad or maybe New Year's Eve you want to go out because you need me to answer it tonight and by tomorrow you're not asking me questions. And therefore your questions on God is just an answer to your behavior. You don't really have questions, but you have a, you want your questions to be the answer why you're doing what you're doing. So do you have, is, this, is this real questions or this is just an answer to like, you know, you don't want to do what you have to do. And I saw right away, because people, there are no atheists. 
I will break down every atheist to the core and I will show you that 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 atheist had to get rid of God for some reason there's a reason that he got rid of God because because if God would say that you could do whatever you want whenever you want there'd be no atheists why not? why not? why not the same theories? if God would say anything you want you could do in the world whatever you want whatever bad stuff you could do everything in his world so why would I get rid of God? I like him Take care of my world. Make sure it's you know ticking tomorrow morning. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. You know, God, you're great. I can do whatever I want, right? The reason that we have a problem with God is one second. He's he's telling me what to do, and I want to do things that he's telling me I can't do. So that I got to get rid of him. You break it down. Something. And no problem. God is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. If God would let me do everything, whatever would go wrong in my life, I would say, Hey, that ain't me. It's God. God does everything. So. I don't got to take any responsibility. God is a great excuse. It's the best excuse. So the minute God gave rules, uh, 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 rules, I got to get rid of you. I don't like rules. So she's looking at me like, yeah, yeah, she's heard all this stuff already. I'm like, okay, so I'm not willing to talk to you in front of your teacher what you're, what you're doing behind everyone's back that you need to come with questions on God and why you gotta get rid of him. We'll do that privately. But we're gonna go through the steps. So I said, I said, okay. I said, so you want me to prove to you that there's a God? I said, I can prove to you. Uh, there's a new proof that I learned which is mind-boggling. I said, I, I can prove to you. But I don't like to prove to you. Cause I really want your relationship to be God. You know, if a wife keeps telling her husband, prove to me you love me. Prove to me you love me. It ain't a good relationship. The wife has to know that the husband... Yes, you have to say it, but the wife has to know in her heart that he really loves me, takes care of me, he's there for me, anticipate, he anticipates my needs, right? If, if you got to keep asking, you really love me, you really... So, so, so I, don't, I, I, don't want, I don't like to prove God. I'd rather that your relationship with God is something that you come through through love and, 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 through, and through a relationship because proving something it makes it very cold. But I said, you know what? If you have questions, I have to prove to you, which is just very interesting because God never... Talk about relationships. Hashem never asks us to love him till he tells us. You know, any guy that's married here is like, knows that his wife's going to say, until you tell me you love me, I'm not telling you that I love you. Right? Or when you were dating, like, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. And like for four o'clock in the morning, that's all you're talking. You hang up for, and, the, and your parents are listening by the door to hear what you're saying. And all they hear is, you hang up first. And it sounds like you're not getting along very well. Like you hang up first, right? But Akash Baruch always tells us, before he asks our love for us to show him love, he always tells us that he loves us. So if you go into if you go into Shachris, if you go to Shachris, right before before Kriyashma, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed you Hashem, Habaycha Ba'amo Yisrael Mi'ava. You chose us. You didn't chose us as a nation because we proved something to you. You chose us as a nation because you love us with love, no proof, with love. Hashem said, "You want the Torah?" We said, "Nasev Nishma." That's it. He didn't say, are you going to keep it? Are you going to be good boys? He said, you want the Torah? We said, Nasev and Ishma. He said, let's get married. We went to Hasinai to get married. So, before we say, in Shema Yisrael, that we have a, 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 a tzivoy, a command, to say, you have to love God with your whole heart. First Hashem says, uh-uh. I love you first. I chose you first. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I came to you. I asked you the question. Right? I chose you as my nation. So therefore, I love you. Now, I can ask you to love me. Okay? That's chakras. If you go to the next time, you say Kriyashma, which is Mayriv. Right? So what do you say? 
And my Arab, we say the same thing. We say, Hashem, please don't ever take your love away from me. I need your love. Baruch atah Hashem, blessed to you, God, Oyev Amu Yisrael, who loves his nation, Klai Yisrael. Now, Hashem says, I love my nation, Klai Yisrael. Now, we can say, Baruch we love you. He always says he loves us first. That's a, that's a, that's a relationship. So I don't like to blow that relationship and, and get into the whole proofs of God, which are very, which are really black and white. But for this girl, I realized that I have to do this. So I told her. Three proofs. Proof number one, the chazer. Torah says that there's no animal in the world that, that has split hooves that doesn't chew its cud, except one animal. There's only one animal in the whole world, and that's called a chazer. That's called a pig. Now, if somebody wrote the Torah, if Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the Torah, or I wrote the Torah, or somebody would have written the Torah, we would never put something in there that you could disprove. We would tell you stories about ten makos, excuse me, Shrayim, Abraham, Isaac, Yitzchak, stuff that you can't prove me that it's not true. But I would never put something in the Torah that you could prove that's not true. So once I make a statement that there's only one animal in the whole world that has split hose and doesn't chew its cud, and it's a pig, uh-oh, if you prove me wrong, and they find in the Amazon, right, some animal that has split hooves and doesn't choose cut, it's not a pig. We're all going to Burger King tonight for cheeseburgers. Because that means the whole Torah is not true and everything is not true. So, HaKadosh Baruch Hu put a little line in the Torah, a little secret little line, saying, I'm the only one that can make such a statement. Because um, even a zoologist, right, they keep finding new animals. So, the only one that can make a statement that there's one animal in the world that has split hooves and doesn't choose cut is the Creator. I did not create any other animal but the pig that has split hooves and chooses cut. So the only one that can make such a statement is God. Proof number one. Now you can come back to me and say, Moshe wrote the Torah and he, he, he guessed. He guessed there's only one. You know, maybe he got lucky. I said nobody would take a chance to write something so unbelievable with a chance that he might be wrong. And five years after that, Moshe Rabbeinu lived the whole, the whole, the whole life of Moshe Rabbeinu, right? That whole thing of Ram Yitzhak Yaakov was, was the Middle East, a little teeny, teeny part of the Middle East. There was a whole earth that they didn't see. So how would they know? But along comes the Gemara and says, and I'll tell you even more, tell you about that, that there's no fish in the world that has scales and doesn't have fins. Now, if you ever pulled out of a net, a fish with scales and no fins, we're off to Burger King or other places. Right? The what? It has what? Scales. No, there's one that loses its scales. I'm going the other way. There's no fish that has scales and no fins. Not fins and no scales. There's no fish that has scales and no fins. It doesn't exist. Now, how can you make such a statement? Nobody knows what's underneath the ocean. You can't see. So only the creator can say that there's under the ocean, I did not create anything that has scales that doesn't have fins. Okay, two proofs that nobody can answer. You could say, guessing they took a chance. Why? Why would they take a chance? Writing in the Torah, something like that. So only the creator knows what he created. So you know, I didn't create anything else like that, so I can make such a statement. You ready for this? A proof that God created the world. So this was, this happened in a, in a, in a, some rabbi, I don't know, who came up with this, and he was talking to a bunch of atheists, and they were like, Dunsky. Listen to what he said. Listen to what he said. It's amazing. I never heard this before. I heard this last week. A month, a Jewish month, and a non-Jewish month, very different. We have 29 or 30, right? They could have 28. February, right? February has 28. 28, 29, 30, or 31. We can't have 31. 
It's either 29 or 30, there's no 31. So a month, there's an argument how many days are in a month. A year, there are many, there are many arguments in a year. There's a Chinese year, there's a Jewish year, about 255 days, I think. I think it's 255 days, or 258 days. And a, and a, and a solar, mo- lunar is 255, I'm, I think, or 265. But, but a, a solar is 365. So a year, a Jewish year, and, a non, and, a, and, a, and the rest of the world's year, and the Chinese year, there's many different years. But a week, a week, is always seven days. The Incas, the Aztecs, the Muslims, the Jews, the Christians, the guys who live, the Aborigines, the guys who live in the woods. A week... There's always seven days. Nobody has a week that's eight days or nine days or six days or five days. Everyone agrees in the world that a week is seven days. Why? Why? Does the whole world agree that a week is seven days? Because from the first day of creation, when Adam was created, Adam knew that the world was created in six days and on the seventh day, God rested. So, there's six plus one which equals seven. A week was seven. And Adam gave it over, not Jews. Adam gave it over to the next man, to the next man, to the next man. And mankind, as a general mankind, has accepted. There's no religion, there's no person in the world that will tell you a week is eight days. Or a week is six days. Why? Because a week has to be seven days. Why seven days? Because creation was seven days. You could say that one, one guy, uh, one guy started, there's no reason to change it. The orbit thing with the years, there's a reason to change that. This guy holds... But you have the Chumash, and the Chumash is telling you. The Chumash is telling you. So someone saw... Right from Adam, from the beginning. What do you mean? There's a lot of, a lot of the, the Jewish religion is the, the Christian religion. All these religions. One guy said, not, not the Jewish, but the Christianity. And all. One guy said, and there became a whole religion from it. But, but not the whole world. Not every human being. There's nothing else in the world that every human being agrees on. Nothing. So, so why is seven days a week everyone agrees on? Because of creation. Because according to the scientists, they're having a bunch of gases. So, so, so why seven days? A week should be a week should be one day or 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 a hundred days. Why, if, if if it was gases that exploded, so th- this unit of seven is coming from somewhere, and it's not Jewish. I'm trying to say you're right. So we believe in the Bible. The Aztecs didn't believe in the Bible. The Incas didn't believe in the Bible. The cannibals don't believe in the Bible. So why do they have seven days in a week? Because since the beginning of the world was accepted by the human being, that God created the world in seven days, and therefore it is a week, and nobody has an answer for that. What? So I told her these three proofs. So she's sitting there, and she's like, okay, I hear you. I can't argue with you. But it still didn't, it, it logically made sense, but it didn't emotionally make sense. So I told her the following. And it's very late. I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to tell you the whole discussion. It was, a, it was a very long discussion. I ended up coming to Muncie at 8.30. It was a half an hour late. Right? But I told them all why I was late. I explained to them. I said, my, my shear last night was supposed to be on Moshe Rabbeinu. My shear was on this girl totally. I spent an hour and a half on what I talked to her about. Um, and, and, and the, the main, the main, the main, and I, and I told her the Chavetz Chaim, so I said, you know, I had, had this 20, this 20 page report that I had to do. And I decided I didn't want to do it. I'm lazy. So I took 20 pieces of paper, and I put it on the desk. I took an inkwell, I put it on the desk, and I locked the door, and I put my cat in there, and I left. And the next morning I came, and the whole report was written. You know what happened? The cat hit the inkwell, the ink fell on the pages, it, it soaked through the pages, and the letters were formed, and it wrote the most unbelievable report that I got an A on. I said, you believe this story? She goes, it's not. Of course not. I'm like, oh, so a, so a 20-page report can't, can't happen randomly, but the world can come to, to be randomly. 
20-page report, big deal. But a human being and a sunrise and a sunset and the, and, and the galaxy and that the earth just spins and there's nothing holding it and all these planets, right, just seem to be in space and there's no strings attached and there's nothing because it's spinning so fast, all kinds of mice, but at the end of the day, there's nothing holding, nothing holding up the earth. Nothing. Right? So the human being, we have all these ideas, but Lemaissa, all these crazy constellations and millions of miles and millions of miles, all this stuff is random. But a 20-page report? Impossible. I'm like, listen to what you're saying. Millions and billions of people? Random. 20-page report? You have to write it. I said, what are you talking about? You know, random is, random is the something. Ran, random is, is, is Asa. Random is a mullet. That is the worst word. You know, kids always say, hey, Rebbe, you know, I'm like, what did you, what did you do over there? Ah, it's just random, don't worry about it. Ra- random is the opposite of, of Hashgacha Pratis. We as Jews, we believe that nothing is random in this world, and every single thing that happens in this world, right, is Basharat. There's no randomness. Randomness, never, the, 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 just like there's no, there's no random in the world, right, in the, in the spiritual world or in the physical world, when you step out and you do something random, so you destroy the symmetry of the world. In a person's body, God forbid, if you have one cell, in your body that's random, it's a cancer cell. Every cell in your body is supposed to be there. And if there's a, a cell in someone's lung that's not a lung cell, but it's an outside cell, then that person has cancer. So it's the same thing in, in the spiritual world. If there's, if there's one Jew that's random, doesn't belong, right? He's causing a cancer in the Jewish soul, in the Jewish body. Because the physical and spiritual, they, they mirror each other. So the, we can't have any randomness. Randomness is, is totally against the Torah. That's what Amalek. Amalek said, how, how, did the, how did the Yom split? How did they explain that? They were atheists. Amalek are atheists. How did they explain the Jews came and the water split? Amalek was right there. They went to war with the Jews. They're right there. How did they explain it? So B'nai Sussman says, they said that there was a, a, a what's it called? A, a, um, an earthquake in the ocean, which caused the, the ocean to split. And it happened to have been the Jews were randomly lucky to be at that point, at that time, to be able to walk through. So, you can explain, you know, life as, 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 as something that's random. That's totally connected to Torah. Today, we do things that are random. I saw a kid the other day throwing orange peels at his potato chips on the floor out here, right here in front of Yeshiva. I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you littering? He says, who cares? I'm like, what, what do you mean who cares? Why don't you just put it in the garbage? He says, what? The whole New York is garbage. So if every single person does that, that's, that's where we live. That's, that's called a random act. It's like, no consequence. Randomness has no consequence. Right? Because if something just happens, so you can't blame me, it's, 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 it's random, really, you know, I'm just, I did something random. So there's no consequence to it. So throwing potatoes, it's just a random act. There's no symmetry. Symmetry means, I want to keep where I live clean, I'm going to put it in the garbage. So we have the same thing in spirituality. In spirituality, there also has to be a symmetry. You can't just do things, you know, you can't just do things randomly. And, and people who do that, they're breaking up the spirituality of cholesterol. So you, you, everything, and, and I think that's the difference between a teenager and an adult. A teenager has no consequence. There's no C word. They're, they just do it, right? It's Nike, just do it, right? Don't worry about it. Just do it. And whatever happens, happens. You know, it's not my problem. You know, and that's tonight. I just was almost missed an accident tonight. People get into a car, they drink, they drink, and they get into a car and they drive. Tonight's the biggest night of, of drunk driving, right? So what do you mean? Why are you getting into a car drunk? You're going to kill somebody, right? It's like. I can do whatever I want, you know? I, I want to drive, I'll drive. I'll do whatever I want. 
No consequence. So teenagers, right? And that's really why you have to be a certain age to drink and a certain age to, to drive a car. Because teenagers don't look at consequences. I'm going to go 80 miles an hour. It's my problem. It's not your problem. The car you're going to hit has some innocent people that are not going 80 miles an hour. The difference between an adult and a child is a child doesn't understand consequence. An adult understands consequence. Randomness? No consequence. Just, I just did it. Just do it. Right? So, so... I tried to explain that that, 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 that the atheism is randomness. The world just happened and a bunch of gases just bumped into each other. Where did the gases come from? Uh, other gases. But where did the original gases come from? I don't know. Where do you don't know? What's it, where's your theory based on? Your theory has to be based on that, that something had to come, someone had to create the first gases, right? It's random. It just, it just stuff happens, you know? Just stuff happens. So yeah, there's no consequences. You go to the consequences and you back up, you back up, you back up. Somewhere along the line, someone had to create those gases that bumped into each other. Once you, once you believe that someone created the gases, so then there's a creator. So then you're arguing how Hashem created the Oretz for, it doesn't really say how Hashem. It says he created Oretz for Shemayim and, 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 and Barat, right? Barat doesn't say. Maybe he did it through gases. Who said that Hashem didn't take a bunch of gases and, 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 and make earth from it? I don't know how Hashem made earth. It doesn't say how he made it, right? So, so she's sitting there, and, I, and I'm going through this whole thing. Anyway, so I, I told her two stories. And I want to tell you these two stories, and I'll, I'll let you go through it later. So, one story I told her was as follows. I said, there's a Mishnah, and, and the Mishnah in Pirkei says, Vasara Mamaras never Ailam. She created the world with ten utterances. Ten, ten words, he said, ten utterances. The Mishnah said, but he could have done it with one. He could have just said, he could have just said, world. Why does it say earth, water, wind, fire, human, woman? He could have just said earth or world, push the enter button, and there's a world, right? Why do he do that? So the Mishnah says, because the people who do Averis, they're, they're getting punished for destroying ten worlds, ten Mamaras. And the people who do good, they're getting rewarded for keeping ten Mamaras. So the more Mamaras, the more utterances, the more credit you get, and also the more, the more consequence, consequence you get. So, so I told her there was this guy on an airplane. He was flying continental, going to Israel. And he was a big guy, to say the least. Really a big guy. And he gets to the airport, and he's huffing and he's puffing and he's schwitzing. And he's very, very late. And his, his, the, the tourist guy, the one who took care of his plane reservations, didn't have a seat for him, so you just get those random seats. And he gets up to the thing, and it's a continental flight to Israel. It's ten and a half hours. And he gets the seat, and it says 35H. Right, 35 H's and three seats. He's in the middle. He's like, you know, I'm a big guy. I'm very heavy, and I'm a big guy, and I need a white seat. Maybe you can get me an aisle or a window. And I got to get up a lot. And and they're like, no, it's sold out plane. You're lucky you got this seat. Okay. He gets onto the plane. He's schwitzing. He's very late. He gets up. He opens up the thing on top to put his baggage in. Of course, it's full. Opens up the other one on the other side. It's full. And the stewardess says, listen. We have to take off. You have to get into your seat. He said, what am I going to do with my bag? We'll check it. You know, when they check your bag, do so you get it? It's like, oh my God. He sees it already. But I have food and I have this and I'm not sure. We got to go. We got to, they take his bag off. So he's already not too happy. Anyway, he comes into 35H between these two, two seats or 35, whatever the letter is. And the guy in the window is bigger than him. <laughs> Huge guy. And the guy in the aisle is just as big as him. And he's in this little seat in between. I'm sure all of you guys who fly, you know what coach is like. He's in this little seat between them. And he sits down. He's a big guy. And he sits down. Mom, the seatbelt's on the last, you know, thing to get it even closed, right? He's that big. He sits down. And 
He's like, I'm not going to make it. I'm just not going to make it. I can't. I can't sit here for ten and a half hours. He's like, he's already getting claustrophobic. He's getting crazy. Meanwhile, the guy by the window is beginning to doze off, and he's like falling asleep on his shoulder. Right? And he's sitting. He's like, oh my gosh! And all of a sudden, the guy starts drooling, and he's like, I don't believe this is happening to me. Right? And the other guy who's sitting by the wind by the aisle takes out the New York Times. Opens it up, right halfway in his face. He's got one guy on his shoulder drooling, snoring. The other guy's got his paper, mamish half his paper in his face. He's like, "This is really not good, right?" But he's he's, he's working on himself, and I have to control myself. Okay. All of a sudden, the pilot gets on. Hi, this is your pilot. I am really sorry. And he goes, "Oh my God, sorry is one hour delay. The word sorry is one hour delay." And then he says, to inconvenience you, inconvenience you is another two hours. <laughs> so sorry and inconvenience is three hours. And kachaya. He says, uh, we're not getting clearance in Israel at the moment, and we're delayed, and um, you can't get out of your seat, you can't, you can't get out of the plane, uh, we're going to be on the tarmac, and it could be two to three hours. He's like, I'm not sitting here for two to three hours. No way. So he says, excuse me, to the guy in the paper, right? And he gets out, and he has to go to the bathroom. There's like already 30 people online, because they know they have to be there for three hours. And he's standing, he's going out of his mind, right? Anyway, to make a long story short, he's, he's pacing, he's mishuggy, he's spitzing. There's no air conditioning because they're on the tarmac. This is a flight out of Gehenna, right? Finally, they take off. He's like, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. I, I, I can't sit here. Half an hour after they take off, he gets up, he starts walking around, and he sees a curtain in front. He's walking up the front, he sees a curtain. He was never on a plane before. He says, curtain? Let's see what's behind curtain number one. Right? So he pulls the curtain open. He's like, what is going on here? It's business first class. Right? The front of the plane. Big, wide seats. People are all the way back. Televisions, eating almonds with soda and beer. He's like, oh my gosh. I bet all the people that are sitting with me don't know about this. Close the curtain behind them. And he sees there's three empty seats. In business first so he sits down. He's like, this is amazing. If those people back there would know, they'd all be up here. Right? He doesn't realize that you have to pay more. So he's sitting there and he puts the seat back and the legs go up. He's like, Mashiach must be flying business class to Israel with me. He's like, I never was, I was never in such a chair in my life. Right? And he's like, wow, I always thought about at home. I get such a lazy chair, whatever it is. He's all happy with himself. Five minutes later, a stewardess comes by. Excuse me, boarding pass, please. He's like, sure. He doesn't realize it. She goes, she goes, you're not in, you're not in 10D. You're in 35H. He goes, I know, but, um, I'm sure this is for people, you know, who are not comfortable in their seats. And I'm very comfortable here. And, um, uh, why should I move? She goes, you didn't, you didn't purchase a ticket. You didn't purchase this ticket. He goes, what are you talking about? She goes, this seat is $3,500 more than yours. So he says, but, but they're empty. So why can't I sit here? I'm sure you've heard this before. Like, you're flying anyway. The plane's flying anyway. So don't give me any food. But who am I bothering by sitting here? I'm not going to bother anybody. You know where I'm sitting? I got one guy drooling on me. The other guy's reading the paper in my face. Can I sit here, please? She goes, I'm really sorry. He goes, you know what? I can't go back there. It's worth it. It's $3,500. I want to sit here. She goes, no, no, it doesn't work that way. LL, by the way, does work that you can upgrade. <laughs> you can upgrade on the plane. Right. But I guess when this story happened, it didn't work that way. And I don't think in continent, I think only LL does that. But anyway, so 
She goes, doesn't that, doesn't work that way. You see, you have to buy the ticket in advance, then we give you a boarding card, and you're on the registration, and where your seat is, and we order your meals, and your luggage is taken in a different, uh, you know, it comes out earlier, but you have to do this all in advance, you can't do this on the plane. He goes, let me go talk to the pilot, I'll give him the $3,500. <laughs> she goes, no, it's not up to the pilot, it has nothing to do with the pilot. You have to purchase it beforehand, whatever it is, and she takes him back to a seat, and he sits squashed between those two with a trip out of Gehenna. So why am I telling you this story? Because I was the big guy reading the New York Times. No, I'm kidding. The reason, I, the reason, reason I'm telling you the story is as follows. After 120 years, we come to Shemayim. And it's brought down in the Zayar, very scary, that on your way to Gehenna, if you're going to Gehenna, Chas they take you through Ganeiden. And they show you what's going on in Ganeiden. Why? Because that's part of your Gehenna. Sitting in coach, watching everyone in business class. So they take you through Ganeiden, you see what they're sitting on, and then you go to Gehenna. That's part of your Gehenna. And the Tzaddikim, they, t- they take through Gehenna into Ganeiden, because part of the Ganeiden is they're going through Gehenna, and they're like, I don't have to sit there. And that's part of their Ganeiden, that they're not in Gehenna. So your Ganeiden is not you're, that you're not in Gehenna. Your Gehenna is that you're not in Ganeiden. The Zoya says this. So the person comes, and he's, he did a lot of Averis, right? He partied his whole life. And now he's walking through Ganeiden to go to Gehenna, chas v'shalom. And there are empty chairs. And he says to the Malach, Hey, you got empty chairs in Ganeiden. I don't want to go to that place. Let me sit here. What does it hurt you? Hurt somebody? Am I sitting in Ganeiden? What? You have to put on more air conditioning? Like what? What's the problem? I want to sit here. And the Malach's like, No, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You, you have to earn... You have to deposit mitzvahs in your bank account, and that's how you get into Ganeiden. And he's like, okay, um, you don't want to give the chair anyway, I'll pay for it here. And they're like, you can't pay, you can't pay for it here. You see, the Mishnah, the Mishnah Pekayelva says that you have to prepare in the hallway for the banquet hall. So you have to buy your tickets here. You can't buy your tickets to Ganeiden there. You have to buy them here. So it's too late once you're there. But you have empty chairs, that's right. But you can't sit here. But I'll pay the pilot. I, I, I'll do mitzvahs up here for Hashem. I'll pay the pilot. And you're like, has nothing to do with it. You you got to come with a boarding card that says Ganeiden. You got to buy that in this world. You can't buy that in the other world. Consequence. There's no randomness. No randomness in this in the next world at all. It's a world of consequence. That was one story I told her. The second story, and we'll end with this. I I, I heard this. It blew me away, but I know some of you might have heard this because I hear that a lot of my gidim, a lot of people who get up and speak, say over this story, but I just heard this story last week. It blew me away. It's written in Elenu Shabayah for Rabbi Zilberstein. When you want to talk about how do you know that there's such a thing in this world, that things aren't random. This is a true, true story. So, there's, there's, there's people who lived in Eretz Yisrael get a phone call that their mother passed away. She was in a nursing home here in America. But the mother passed away, and that they're bringing the body to Eretz Yisrael for Kvura, and everything was already taken care of, and um, the the funeral home, everything, because their mother in, was in a nursing home, she was really very old, so they took care of all the you know all the, all the things that had to be taken care of, and the funeral home picked her up, and they did a tahara, and she's on a plane from El Al, and they called them, they said she's, she's arriving in Lud, 
and they set up the kvura, everything is going to be in Eretz Yisrael. Fine. So the, the box comes, and the name, they always write the name on the box of the person who was deceased, and her name's on the box, and whatever it is, and they take her, and they, and they, and they bury her in Eretz Yisrael, in a, maybe Hamanuchos, I don't know where they buried her. In, in, so, fine. So the family, they lost their mother, whatever it is, they're sitting Shiva. Two days into Shiva, it's a true story. Two days into Shiva, they get a phone call. Hi, this is so-and-so nursing home. Your mother would like to talk to you. They're like, that's not funny. We're sitting Shiva two days. We, just, we buried her two days ago. My mother doesn't want to talk to me. They say, no, your mother's on the phone. He says, okay, put her on. She comes to the phone. Hi, Eliezer. It's Mama. He's like, Mama, you died. We buried you. He said, no, no, I didn't die. My roommate died. So what happened? In the nursing home, there's two names on every door of who's in the, in the room. They switched it. They made a mistake. So the body that they brought to Eretz Yisrael, that they buried, was her roommate. It's a true story. It was her roommate, not her. So she's alive. They sat shipping for two days for absolutely no reason. But now, they got to call the people who think their mother is alive and tell them, uh, your mother died two days ago. We sat shipping for her for the last two days for your mother. So they, they called the nursing home. It was a very big mistake, right? And they asked, can you give us the phone number of the lady that's in our mother's room? That was in our mother's room. You give the phone number. It's a true story. And they call up. And a boy, a guy answers, and he says, hi, this is, this is so-and-so. We're in Israel. Um, we have some very bad news for you. He says, what? He says, um, actually, your mother passed away two days ago, and um, we buried her in Israel, um, thinking that it was our mother. It was a whole big switch. And the guy's like, you sure she's dead? And they're like, yeah, yes! He's like, what? He says, we're waiting for that old witch to drop. Now we have all the money that she left. They're like, the guy was besimcha gedayla. So he, so she says, he, he says to him, um, okay, um, well, we buried her two days ago, so you really, the shiva started two days ago. He says, ah! We're not sitting Shiva. We don't do that. We're very modern people. We're not interested in sitting Shiva. Thank you very much. Would you like us to send you a check for what you paid for the whole burial? And then he said, uh, we'll get back to you. He was like, oh my gosh. That's not the reaction that he expected. Okay. Didn't even ask where they buried the mother. Nothing. Basic is weird. Okay. So he calls back his mother. And he says, you know, um, I spoke to Mary, whatever her name is, Marilyn's children and they, they, they were you know weren't that upset and um, they didn't even ask us where she's buried whatever it is and um, you know they, they, they offered to pay I don't know what we should do and the mother says you buried Marilyn they said yeah we thought it was you ma and you buried her in Israel yeah in a Jewish cemetery yeah ma we thought it was you we did a tahara we did everything kahalacha she says, that's amazing. She says, why? She says, you know, me and Marilyn have been roommates for 10 years. When, when I first came, she wasn't religious at all. But we talked and we talked and we talked. And she started lighting candles. And she started making brachas. And she said, you know, there was one thing that she was really, really upset about. That she signed many years before with her children to be cremated. And she kept praying to Hashem that she shouldn't be cremated. And her children said, you're going to be cremated. We're going to do what we want to do after you die. And she said, oh my gosh. 
They can't cremate her anymore. She's buried. They're not going to cremate her anymore, she said. Hashem switched both of us so that you should think that it was me. She had a tara. She was buried like a tzaddikah star in a, in a Jewish cemetery. And her children, all they wanted to do was to cremate her. Hashem listened to her tefillos. And they called back the people and said, you don't owe us anything. We, you know, she's buried. There's no reason to cremate. They said, no, she's buried. We're not going to pull her out of the ground. That we're not going to do. You hear about Hashgacha Protis? This woman prayed that Hashem, she should not be cremated. So Hashem made a whole dre may. They sat shiva for the wrong woman. They put the wrong name. That she was buried. Not stam. She wasn't cremated. Right? But she was buried like a tzedekah stuff. Because she did shuva five, six years or ten years before she died. So I said to this girl, there's no randomness in the world. God, Hashkocha put this on every leaf, on every thing that goes on in this world. Look at this woman. And this is a true story. If Rabbi Yitzhak Silverstein didn't write it on Leno Shabbat, I would tell you, the guy who wrote the story made up the most amazing story in the world. The switch of the body, she's supposed to be cremated, she ends up getting buried like a Tadega stuff. This is crazy. This is like a Shlomo Kalbach story. But Rabbi Yitzhak Silverstein doesn't write stories in a Leno Shabbat that aren't true. So anyone who thinks that for one second that something is random or something that a Kishbaruch is not watching every single move that we do and not listening to every single tefillah of this woman who, who her whole life didn't keep anything. And at the end of her life she said, just I don't want to be cremated. And her children were to cremated. There's nothing to talk about. And she had to make a whole switch. We all need to know that he chose us the Ava with love and he loves every single one of us. And there's stuff that we go through. It's not random. There's a cheshman. We don't understand the cheshman. There's a cheshman to everything. And that is anti-atheism. Atheism believes just everything is random and everything just happens. And Yiddishkeit believes it's not random. HaGosh chose us with love and with care. And Bezrat Hashem will all be zeichemetz Hashem to see Taka HaGosh not randomness, but his cheshman and his care and his love in the building of the Beis HaMidosh for Harry Yemenu. Amen. Just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.